You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. capacities that God has made available to us, the power that's available to us to be actually to be obedient, but nevertheless we fail. God would have been absolutely right to put us up for adoption, to just blow us off. But He's so faithful. He's always been faithful with mankind, right from the very beginning. And the Jews are evidence of, of this fact, right? They deserved condemnation. But in spite, what did God do? He rescued them time and time again. Are you struggling to believe that God is faithful to His Word? As you listen to today's message from Pastor Mike, he encourages you through the Bible, showing you through Scripture that God always comes through on what He says He will do. We don't deserve God's faithfulness, but He is always faithful. Pastor Mike explains that the Jews offer a great example to God's faithfulness. Look at all the times that they were stiff-necked and disobedient but God continued to rescue them time and time again. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Ephesians chapter 2 as he begins his message, The Need to Remember. I remember what you said You returned that I might live In my Okay, now, to begin with, let me ask you a question. Have you heard the expression, there are some things that are better forgotten? How many of you have ever heard that expression used, right? Okay. Well, fortunately for us, God recognized that fact when he promised, and it's recorded for us in the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 31 and 34, an amazing, amazing, wonderful announcement. He said there, I will forgive their iniquity, and will remember their sin no more. Isn't that an amazing, wonderful announcement? You know, think about all of the crazy, stupid, bonehead things, well, I can only speak for myself, that I've done, right? As far as God is concerned, it's just like in Christ now that I've never done them ever before. What a wonderful promise that is. God throws those things into the sea of forgetfulness. All of the crazy things, all of the sin, you know, all of the iniquity. Uh, he, he remembers them no more. He removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. Yet, there are some things that should never be forgotten. And this was on the mind of Paul when he wrote, let's go back to our text in verse 11. Notice, He says, therefore, or wherefore, he said, remember. Therefore, remember. You see, some facts must never be forgotten. 
And such was the sentiment expressed by the prophet Isaiah when he said to the people of his generation in his book, Isaiah chapter 51 and verse 1, listen to me, you who follow after righteousness, and I hope that every one of you would fall into that category, you who seek the Lord, also I trust that every one of you would fall into that category. We're seeking after the Lord Jesus Christ. We're walking in his footsteps, looking to the rock from which you were hewn, and to the hole, and boy, was this ever true, and again, I'm only speaking for myself, but and to the hole of the pit from which you were dug. We were rescued by the Lord. And these are just some of the things that we should always constantly be in remembrance of. Listen, it is never wise to forget the goodness of God and the way in which he helps those who have placed their trust in him. And herein lies the danger when Christians cease to be grateful, when we begin to forget what God has done, when we we sort of like begin to take things for granted, maybe we've even gone as far as being jaded, you know, to that experience of what God has provided for us and the way that God has blessed us, put us back on our own two feet. What happens when we are ungrateful, when we don't consider those things? Well, we become uh, unresponsive to the still, small voice of God that seeks to lead and guide us, which, if you think about it, is actually huge, right? Because constantly I'm I'm in touch with the Lord. God is constantly speaking to me throughout the day. And all of my life's experience, God is with me. I'm so very much aware of the presence of God within my life. And he's constantly speaking to me. It's not some kind of booming, audible voice. It may just call into remembrance a verse of scripture that addresses or particularly relates or is relevant to the situation that I find myself in. It might be God speaking through me through another person, like, for example, in this message this morning across the pulpit. Or it might be just in a conversation that I'm having with someone that I've caught up with uh, at the conclusion of a service, back in the kitchen over a, you know, a bottle of water or whatever. And uh, you know, God speaks to us. God speaks to his people in a variety of different ways. But again, let me say, when Christians cease to be grateful, forget about what God has done, they can't become unresponsive to that still, small voice of God that seeks to lead us and guide us. Okay, so with that said, that sort of lays the groundwork for this morning's message. Now let me, uh, once again, begin with another question. Okay, so what exactly is it that we are to remember? Well, the things we are without. That's what Paul is reminding us of here. Again, what are we to remember? Well, the things we were without. And Paul mentions five things here. That is, the things that we were without before we came to know Christ as our Lord and Savior. So let's take them in their order. The first thing that we were without before our conversion experience, before knowing Christ, is we were were without him. So if you're taking notes, write that down. They were without Christ. That is the Gentiles, the Ephesian believers. We would also uh, fall into that category, right? We were at one time without Christ. Notice it is expressed there in verse 12. 
that at the time you were without Christ. Notice that, the first part of verse 12. So Paul reminded his readers in Ephesus that they had been idol worshipers and heathens in context and all of what uh, we've already gone through, the verses of Scripture that have come before our text this morning. They had been idol worshipers. They were heathens. They were without Christ. They were without hope of a Savior. And listen, in their fallen, alienated state, we've already established this in our previous studies, they were not united to Jesus through saving faith by the ministry and the operation of the Holy Spirit. Oh, how grateful we should be that we are, in fact, united together with Christ. It's an amazing experience, right? It's a, it's a miracle. It's one of the miracles of miracles. I mean, think about this. The Jews, even at their worst, okay, picture in contrast, the Jews and the Gentiles here, the Jews, even at their worst, even after they had you know, kind of sunken into some formal type of religious experience, or they completely turned their back upon God altogether and being obedient to his word, even the Jews, at their worst, had hope of the coming Messiah. And their faith in his coming was a vital part of their heritage. But these Gentile believers, these Ephesians, all of us before Christ, Without him, remember now the word Christ literally means the anointed one or Messiah. That's what the word Christ literally means, the anointed one or the Messiah. So anticipating the coming of the anointed one by the Jews or their Messiah, right, was a vital part of their heritage. Other nations, that is the Gentiles, had nothing to strengthen their anticipation of future blessedness. Yes, they had idols that decorated their temples and adorned their streets. They prayed and offered sacrifices to those man-made objects, but their prayers were never answered. The Gentiles had no outlook for the future and no real peace within their hearts. You know, the truth be told, they were traveling a road to nowhere and were busy doing nothing. So the citizens of Ephesus knew little, if anything, about the Savior. They were un, basically, you could say of them, truthfully, that they were unevangelized heathens. Had they been deprived of the ministry of Paul, as is recorded for us in the book of Acts, and his friends, they may never have heard the gospel at all. So truly, in every sense of the word, the first thing they were without Christ. But then the second, so this is something that we should, you know, constantly uh, think about, right? And be grateful for, that we know Christ, that we have this living union together with him. And then secondly, they were without citizenship. Notice there in verse 12, Paul puts it this way. They were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. That is, the Ephesians and all other Gentiles had no connection with the religious life of Israel. Remember when Jesus uh, met up with the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well? 
It's recorded for us in John's Gospel in chapter 4, in verse 22. And she began to question him about, you know, where uh, true worship would actually take place. And then she refers to her forefathers, the Samaritans, how that they worshiped there within the mountains. Should we worship, should we continue to worship there in the mountains, or should we worship back in the temple there in the city of Jerusalem? And so Jesus turns this whole thing around in response to that question. He says, you worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. So think about that. The Ephesians and all other Gentiles had no connection with the religious life of Israel. In fact, the popular opinion of that day that was actually advanced by the Jewish rabbis said, and I quote, that Gentiles were created by God to fan the fires of hell. Have you ever heard that expression used before? And that was, that was the common belief of the day. And that's why the Jews had nothing to do with Gentile believers. They were considered unclean. You know, they, they, they had no, absolutely no relationship, if at all possible, with Gentile uh, people. In fact, if they happened to be, you know, like, for example, in, in the city of Jerusalem, where Gentile believers at different times may have been present for, for whatever reason. Maybe they were visiting friends, or maybe they were tradesmen and, and selling their products or whatever. Let's say an adult Jew was on their way to worship in the temple. If they even brushed up against a Gentile believer, they would have to go through all of these rites of purification and water before they actually entered into the temple to worship God. They were considered unclean. And so the popular opinion of the rabbis, and this was promoted by the rabbis, as it related to Gentiles, and we're not talking about Gentile believers here, just Gentiles in general, was that they were created by God to fan the fires of hell. How crazy is that, right? And so that was the common uh, belief. And even though some Jews disgraced their faith and disappointed their leaders, they remained Hebrews. They had access to the feasts and festivals of their nation. But then again, in contrast, the Gentiles were not as fortunate. They could not change the law of Moses, and consequently, they remained aliens. The Jews considered them to be eternally damned, even before they died. So listen, what Christ did for them, accomplished for us, is beyond description. He performed the impossible and brought hope to the hopeless. You know, a little later on in our series here in the book of Ephesians, uh, Paul puts it this way, you know, going from what we were before Christ and now what we've become in Christ. In chapter 2 and verse 19, I'll give you a little preview. Notice what it says in chapter 2 in the very chapter that we're our text is found this morning, but just jump ahead quickly in verse 19. This is now what we've become. He says, now, therefore, you are no longer strangers. So at one time we were strangers, and we were foreigners, but now we are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. What a transformation we've undergone. Think about that in Christ. You know, also... Uh, in the book of Philippians, in Philippians chapter 3, for example, in verse uh, 20, 
There we are told, and again, we didn't have this hope prior to our conversion experience, but now, Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20, we are told, for our citizenship is in heaven. So again, the second point here is that we were without a citizenship. We were without citizenship. Now listen, you know, let me also mention that, you know, this, you know, all of this thing like Jesus uh, speaking to the Samaritan woman and, and responding and saying, you don't even know what you worship and uh, you don't enjoy the same citizenship that the Jews enjoyed. I want you to understand that this was not a racial slur on his part, but rather a sober fact of salvation history. Because salvation initially was of the Jews and the Jews alone. So you've got to understand it. So they didn't have any part of the citizenship. But now, because of what Christ has done for us, we've been grafted in. And we've experienced the citizenship of heaven. How blessed we are. And then thirdly, another thing that we were without, we are told here in our text, let's go back to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 12. Notice it says that we were, th- we were without covenant promises. Paul puts it this way. We were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise. Now listen, think about this. I mean, the promises of God were the foundation upon which the Jewish faith rested. Isn't that true? The fathers of that nation had entered into a unique arrangement with Jehovah God. He promised never to forsake them. They promised, and in turn, they promised to remain his faithful, separated people. And listen, let me, you know, let me also mention this, and I don't have this in my notes, but isn't this the same arrangement that God is looking to have with you and I? He promises to be faithful to you, to provide for all of your needs, but in turn, he also wants you to be faithful to him. Isn't that true? He wants you to live a separated life unto him. That's the arrangement. And the result of which is all of these promises that are recorded in the Bible are made good upon. For example, with Israel, he promised never to forsake them. He promised to remain his if they re- promised to remain his faithful separated people. But you know how that went. Unfortunately, the Jews forgot to honor their part of the agreement. And, and you know what? That happens with a lot of Christian people today. You know, they enter into the same agreement, and that's what it is. It's a relationship. That's what Christianity is. It's a relationship between two parties, you and your Lord, right? And you make certain promises, certain vows, right? And God expects us, he's going to make good on his promises, but he expects us to follow through on ours as well. But therein lies the problem with a lot of Christians, you know? They just won't take it that far. They'll go as far as when it's convenient to obey the Lord and his word, right? But when it becomes a little uncomfortable, forget about it. And I'm not going to make good on my promise, on the vow that I made unto uh, the Lord. So unfortunately, the Jews forgot to honor their part of the agreement. But nevertheless, throughout the centuries, God honored his covenant. And he rescued the nation even when the people deserved condemnation. You know, think about our own failures. How many times God would have been just and right to just, you know, write us off? 
to put us up for adoption. We've been grafted in now, right? We, we've become family. We've become one of his children. But how many times have we failed the Lord? Think about it. When you consider all of the wonderful resources, the capacities that God has made available to us, the power that's available to us to be actually to be obedient, but nevertheless we fail. God would have been absolutely right to put us up for adoption, to just blow us off. But he's so faithful. He's always been faithful with mankind, right from the very beginning. And the Jews are evidence of, of this fact, right? They deserved condemnation. But in spite, what did God do? He rescued them time and time again. Israel remained the chosen people of the Most High God. I mean, think about it. The promise was given through Moses, and it was never forgotten by God. In Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, Therefore, uh, say to the children of Israel, now he's speaking to Moses, and Moses in turn was going to address the people, I am the Lord. Bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And, and you, remember in our series back in the book of Exodus, we had mentioned that the Egyptians or Egypt was a type of the world. And that's what God is seeking to do, to bring us out of the world, all of the pressures, all of the anxieties of you know, the, the demands that the world makes upon us. So he says, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will rescue you from their bondage, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Praise the Lord. And, and boy, did he ever make good on that promise. Consider the plagues that he brought against Egypt that, back, uh, that broke the back of Pharaoh, ultimately, that led to... Pharaoh letting God's people go. He says, I will take you as my people. And this is the promise that God makes to you this morning. This is the same promise that God makes to me this morning. And I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And so the covenant promises of Jehovah were meant to unite God with his people forever. And listen, go through every promise that's recorded in the Bible. From, book, you know, from the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. God will make good on every one of those promises for you. It's not all about just Israel, you know, what he's promised to Israel. You know, if, think about it in this way. We are, in a New Testament sense, spiritually Israel. God's people. That's all that Israel is. God's people. We've been grafted in, you see. Again, prior to our conversion experience, we were, we were without these things. We were without the covenant promise, right? And so the covenant promises of Jehovah were meant to unite God with his people forever. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh my heart. We're so glad you joined us today on In My Father's House for our continuing verse-by-verse study through the book of Ephesians. If you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor Mike, please visit our website at harvestnyc.org. 
You can also listen online by going to the Resources tab, or you can find them on One Place and search for Harvest Christian Fellowship or Pastor Mike Fenizio. Viewing our recent services in their entirety can be an option as well through Vimeo. Just follow the link at our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. We also invite you to subscribe to our podcast. Just search your favorite platform for In My Father's House. If you're ever in or near the Midtown Manhattan area and are looking for a church home, come visit us here at Harvest Christian Fellowship. We meet every week for worship, Bible study, and fellowship. It's easy to get here, and you can reserve your seat at our website. If you can't make it in person, that's okay. Join us on the live stream to participate in our services virtually. Just follow the link at harvestnyc.org. If you happen to have any questions for us, don't hesitate to give us a call at 212-247-1877. That number again is 212-247-1877. Or connect with us on Facebook and Instagram by following the links on our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. We're so glad you took the time to listen in today, and we hope you'll join us again next time on In My Father's House.